Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, who loves us with a transforming love. From our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, and from the Spirit who unites us all. Amen. So I love this print that you see on the screen here of Mary and Elizabeth. This was created by our friends at Sanctified Art, so perhaps some of you may recognize it from a devotion last year, the year before last. But what I love about this particular print is that it pulls me right in to this sacred moment of meeting. And then it just bids me to slow down and to listen and to look and to imagine. Which I'm grateful for, because I don't know about you all, but I feel like I am in a full run toward Christmas, trying desperately to hold it back just a little bit longer. Which is what this story of these two women bids us to do, to just hold on hold Christmas off for just a moment longer, to stop and imagine and ponder with them the story that we will celebrate at the end of this week. So I invite you to just take a moment to take a few deep breaths to clear your mind of whatever lists you may be holding there, the tasks that need to get done, the people you need to see. Perhaps there's work waiting for you tomorrow morning, but just breathe for a moment and make room in your heart for this story of God's incredible grace and Mary and Elizabeth's deep faith. One of the first things that I notice in this print is that the women don't look like me. And I love that reminder that the people of this sacred story that we hold were not European, but in fact, Middle Eastern. I remember my first trip to the Holy Land and coming to the realization again and again that the Christians that I met there could trace their history all the way back to Jesus in that space, in that place, which just was a total duh moment, but also like, oh my gosh, that's so cool moment. But we forget about all of that when we talk about Jews and Muslims in Israel and Palestine. We forget that Christians have been there for 2,000 years as well, that this is the birthplace of Christianity. So it is good for us occasionally, always, to remember that the people we read about don't look like us. But what I appreciate most about this print is that it recognizes the power of this moment. We see it as the artist points to the wombs of these two women of Elizabeth with the halo, or maybe it's Elizabeth. And so often, we gloss right over these verses, sandwiched between the Annunciation and the Magnificat. And yet, in this exchange is two women who have seen God's grace in their lives and have chosen to believe that what the angel has said will come to pass. There isn't the doubt of Zechariah or the denial of Peter or the betrayal of Judas in this particular story. Instead, there are two faithful women who meet and who see each other. It is also, as one commentator put it, the first Christian worship service. There's the call and the response of Mary's greeting. There's Elizabeth's leaping uterus, her prophetic blessing, and Mary's amazing song that echoes the prophecies of old. Here, worship happens around the child in Mary's womb who is no less than Jesus the Christ. Here, 
is good news, that God is up to something, and God has chosen two unlikely, unknown women to join them. We know very little about Mary and Elizabeth, both before and after this story. We know that Mary was a young girl preparing for marriage from a town no one wanted to be from. Remember, does anything good come out of Nazareth? And Elizabeth was old, childless, of some import because of her husband's role as priest, but that's kind of canceled out by her barren womb. And yet, God finds them worthy. And isn't that the kicker? That here in this story, our God finds what the world finds unworthy to be worthy to bear these two important people in the world. I'm continually stopped in my tracks by this realization that God finds these women worthy of changing the world by bearing the ones who will end one chapter of Israel's history and begin another. Because if God finds them worthy, then wouldn't God find us worthy as well? And that's what gets me every time. It's like a wave of both hope and confusion crashing over me all at once. Because it certainly isn't what I have, what we have come to expect from ourselves in this world that will tell us a thousand times a day in a thousand different ways that we're never worthy. Yet here is our God entering the human story again and choosing these two women and choosing you and choosing me to bear the gospel into the world. And in that choosing and in their faithful response, Mary and Elizabeth become evangelist and prophet, the first to proclaim the amazing things that God is going to do. Two women, which shouldn't surprise us in Luke's gospel, we'll see over and over again how God favors the outcast in this gospel. Over and over again, unlikely people will be the change makers, the ones who are raised up. It will be at the women at the tomb who are the first to proclaim the resurrection. Not Peter, not John, but Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who gather there. So Luke bookends his gospel with the proclamation of women. And I say this not because I'm a woman who gets to stand in a pulpit, which is a very privileged place in our religious landscape, but because so often in our history, the role of women has been played down, relegated to the sidelines. And yet here in Luke's gospel, and really all throughout scripture, we see women in roles of change makers, evangelists, prophets, preachers, judges, church leaders, if we pay attention if we don't gloss over those verses. So here we are, Mary and Elizabeth, the unlikely women that God has chosen in a moment of utter beauty and power as they recognize God in each other, in their bodies. In this moment, God is revealed in the ways that God is so often revealed but we don't want to see, in real life, in real fleshy bodies, in the forgotten, the fragile, and the unformed. This moment isn't so much about the ethereal theology of the incarnation that we sometimes like to swim around in. 
but it's about the absolute realness of God with us in all that life is, in all that birth is. Mary and Elizabeth recognize this moment for what it is, And in their joy, the Spirit fills their lungs and their whole bodies, and they proclaim the depth from the depth of their being. Elizabeth's babe leaps, her voice shouts, she blesses Mary because of her faith, because she said yes. And in response, Mary speaks or sings with joy the reality that she has lived and has seen her aunt live, that God's mercy will turn the world upside down. And we hear those words when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is the song of Mary's people, the song that the prophets have sung for millennia, and here she is actually experiencing it for her own self, knowing her worthiness, not because of something great she has done, but because of God's love and mercy showing up in her life. So she sings of a world where there are all those who doubt their worthiness because the world has set standards that they cannot reach like wealth and power and status, they will be given worth by God because they will be lifted up and filled up and gathered together. That is a world that is incredible to imagine. And all this, all of this done by two pregnant women, I always, as I listen to Mary's song, have imagined myself standing, or imagined most of us, to be frank, standing in the middle of these two groups of people. But it occurred to me this week as I was rereading the song and immersing myself in the prophecy of the Old Testament with the Bible Matters group and the Coffee with Pastor Karen group, that most of us in this room are in the place of the proud, the rich, and the powerful. That most of us in this room sit in the place of those who will be scattered, brought down, and sent away empty. I can't really ever say that I absorbed that reality. However, the country I live in the education, my education level, my skin color, my sexual orientation and gender identification as a cis straight female, my work and my salary, all of these things place me very firmly on the side of those who will be scattered, brought down, sent away empty. 
The only thing I do have going for me is that I'm a woman, but that doesn't move the menial very much. Mary sings of a world where I, where we are brought down. This beautiful, powerful song about our God, friends, it's law for us who hear it here. It's not the gospel that Mary and Elizabeth sing of, which is why I think it's so hard for us, as I stand here, my heart pounding, my stomach clenching, hard for us to consider things like our part in racism or homophobia or hunger or climate change, even if we don't have a direct, easy-to-see line to those things. We are these folks which is important for us to then allow that reality to sink into ourselves. That is the role of the law. It's important for us to realize that we are not, for the most part, the hungry, the poor, and the unseen. It's important for us to allow our hearts to burn and our stomachs to clench because those are signs to us to slow down, to listen to the Spirit's voice as she leads us into some deeper understanding. But friends, there is hope. Because the law, with the law, always comes the gospel. We hold both of those in our hands. The reversals declared by Mary, where we are the ones that are brought down, are framed within God's mercy. Seeing what God has done for her, Mary reminds us all of God's mercy for those who fear them in every generation. Then, having reminded us of what God will continue to do in God's justice, she once again reminds us of the mercy God has shown to Israel, and by extension ourselves, throughout time. So we can take heart, even in our wealth, power, and privilege, even as we still ourselves to sit and listen that God's mercy is for everyone. And fear not, dear friends, there are examples for us to follow. Woohoo! Not the rich man who goes away sad because he's told he has to sell everything, but Zacchaeus, who was a wealthy tax collector, had lots of power, And yet when he encounters Jesus in his home and receives mercy and grace for him, becomes an instrument of God's justice by redistributing wealth. Or in the book of Acts, we read about Cornelius, who was a centurion, who was following the ways of the Jews and had a vision from God to go to Peter. And so he does. And because he followed that vision, The gospel story was opened up to all Gentiles. Because the reality is, friends, we are worthy of God's love and mercy. We have that as a gift. And in that worthiness, we don't just keep it to ourselves. We find the space and the courage that we need to not only recognize that worthiness, but to actually allow it to change how we see and understand our world and our role in it. So that God's mercy 
becomes perhaps our own mercy. That God's justice becomes something that we strive for. Because, friends, I don't know if you've noticed this in Scripture, but there is no justice without mercy. Anytime we hear about God's justice, God's mercy is right there. They are never separated. So as we consider God's mercy in the lives of those who are hungry and who are poor, those that God will lift up, we consider the mercy that is ours and the ways that it will change our eyes and our hearts so that we may work for God's justice in this world. We're going to sing a song in just a moment. It's a version of Mary's song, sung in the voice of Mary. My heart shall sing of the day you bring, the refrain says, let the fires of your justice burn, which I think is really bold for us to say and us to sing and us to pray for. And then it says, wipe away all tears for the dawn draws near and the world is about to turn. I've always sung this song as if I were Mary. But this year I'm singing it as if I am one that needs to be turned. We sing this song as a reminder as a reminder of Mary's hope for the world, the hope that has been said throughout the generations, but also as a reminder that we, like our dear sister Mary and our dear sister Elizabeth, that we are a people of hope. In the midst of all that life is, we, as faithful people, have faith that God is at work, have hope, that God's love will continue to change us and change our world, that God's mercy and justice will prevail, even if it means that we have to sit and listen, be a little uncomfortable, make hard decisions and choices. But like Mary and like Elizabeth, we can choose to believe and embody God's love and mercy and boldly sing of what God will do through us, trusting that God will never leave us, and that the promises that we have in this Christ child, the promises of salvation and mercy and love, are indeed ours, and not only ours, but the world's.